Welcome to the Intelligence Download, a podcast from BA Systems. I'm Ben Tudor. This is the second part of a discussion between Scott Clayton, Head of Claims Fraud at Zurich Insurance, and Kate Wright, Head of Insurance Product at BA Systems. In the first part, we talked about trends emerging over the next six months, and in the long term as well. And we also looked at opportunistic fraud, geographic fraud types, and indicators of long-term trends. In this second part of the um, discussion, we'll look at adaptation, both by criminals and the industry, and how insurers, vendors, and law enforcement can unite to tackle some of the more pressing problems of fraud. Looking at um, sort of geographical spreads, so some types of frauds that are quite regional. You mentioned cash for crash at the beginning of this um, discussion, and um, we sort of moved from sort of the UK to the Republic of Ireland a couple of years ago. Um, it's it's quite interesting that there seem to be regional trends, that types of fraud will hop between countries or between regions. Um, are there any that you've observed in particular spreading from jurisdictions, um, you know, apart from cash for crash, any that you'd want to highlight? Uh, I mean, crash for cash is a good example, and the Republic of Ireland is, is a great example too, because, you know, clearly geography means it's not that far for people to cross over and, and start setting up businesses to, to target the system. The crucial thing about the Republic of Ireland is the amount of damages in the whiplash arena are significant and therefore a very attractive proposition. So you can see why that's happened. The rest of it, I mean, I my role involves um, looking after or kind of representing Zurich from a European and a global fraud point of view. Um, it's quite difficult to actually identify specific trends but it's a lot easier to actually say, well, you know, for example, we see um, suspicious fire claims in the UK. You see suspicious fire claims all over the world. You see exaggerated damage claims, exaggerated loss claims. Um, you see all that kind of thing in all the territories and regions. But it can't be a one-size-fits-all approach. So just because we've got an organised fraud problem in the UK doesn't mean to say that the same approach in another territory would have the same benefit. So you have to deploy the correct and appropriate proportionate response to what's happening in, in those individual countries. And to, to understand what that is, you actually need to almost embed yourself within those countries. It's a very local issue. Um, so, you know, as, as much as I try and keep tabs of what's happening, you know, fraud related around the world, I'm not the expert in terms of how to tackle fraud in Spain or Italy or Germany or even far wider than that. Yeah. And it's tough because they'll take advantage of certain certain regulations in the region that they're working in. And they'll take advantage of limitations around how an insurer can use data for fraud. They'll take advantage around access that they have to law enforcement and the consequences that they can put in place. So fraudsters do their research. They know the regions that they're working in and they immerse themselves in the regions that they're working in. And, and they will employ people in certain regions to take on that task for them. So I think Scott's spot on. You you need to know, you need to have staff in those regions, you need to have experts in those regions. Yeah, I mean, if you were to say to somebody in you know, Germany or Spain, do you realise that in the UK we've actually had people who have been convicted for selling data? They'd be kind of, what? <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? How did yeah. you do that? <laughs> yeah, but you know, it just goes to show that the, the, the non-fault um, individual in the motor market in the UK is a valuable commodity. And that would that's not something we would ever really think that would be from a fraud point of view, some something so valuable. Mm.
What's really interesting when you look at different regions from from the work that I've done globally is from an underwriting application perspective, the speed in which we sell insurance in the UK is almost unprecedented. We have such a huge aggregator market here that has made that process so incredibly fast and digitalized that our fraudsters take advantage of that. We have a huge ghost broken problem. They can take advantage of the aggregator sites. They can take advantage of that fast digitalization of the process that we've got. Um, and that again, that's different by region. There's some elements of the US that are still very much working in face-to-face broking. Um, so it is different by a different region. Yeah, I, I find the ghost broking issue absolutely fascinating. Actually. It's probably worth going into a little bit of detail on that and why it's taken off so well, you know, so 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 well, so badly in the UK. I need, you, you know, aggregators are one thing, but there's another whole issue. I mean, of... I'm going to be quite frank. It's relatively easy. Like anybody can do it. You can be down the pub. You could have never done it before and say to your mate, well, pay me 50 quid and I'll go and get you a cheap, cheaper policy. And you go in and you lie and you give them the policy documents. It's it's really not rocket scientists, rocket science, sorry. And I think that's, uh, that, that's really why it's sort of taken off as such. There's a... There's been a, a lack of consequence to it for a long time. That's getting a lot better now, but it's yeah. it's pretty easy. Scott, I don't know what you think about it. Yeah, and I think you just have to look at some of the motivating factors. The chances of being caught driving without insurance now have never been greater. And, you know, all credit to the industry, the MIB, for example, for, for driving that kind of uh, awareness. So, you know, roadside checks, police checks, access to mid, you know, provides the police and the authorities with very quick access to say, well, somebody's not insured. So that then means that anybody who is taken to the road uninsured needs to find a way. They either buy insurance or they find a workaround to buy insurance. And that's therefore, so there's a demand for it. The other thing in a kind of twist to it is that criminals who are involved in other types of crime, um, they don't want to be stopped driving without insurance. So whereas in the past, they would probably take the chance and the same as they take the chance with most things in life, it's actually important for them to actually get insurance because the last thing they want is the police to pull them over for not having insurance to have a bootload of stuff that they just never. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be really so frustrating. There's, so there's yeah. a demand for it. Absolutely, and and just for anybody listening and thinking this is really easy, I, I've got to give us a go. Please don't. Um, the um, I suppose the other question I have around that is that it it seems almost like a a, a customer education thing. You know, if, if you've been offered an insurance deal that's too good to be true, and you're you know. The classic one is the, the first-time driver, the newly qualified driver, facing a huge insurance bill because, frankly, they're a high-risk individual. Um, and they also happen to be people, you know, 17-year-olds. You know, it's, it's very tempting to take out on these policies, but you're still going to get stopped and you're still going to get caught. And it's not the ghost broker who's going to necessarily suffer for it. It's the individual. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that's where, again, from an industry point of view, um, they deserve a lot of credit to, to bring the minds together from from all the insurers and say how do we actually get the awareness out there how do we work with some of our industry bodies to get the message out there through social media and other channels just to get that you know the awareness as exactly as you've said that you don't want somebody paying what they seem is a ridiculous amount of money for insurance to then fall foul of being involved in an accident and having a huge amount of liability against them so it's definitely an awareness piece um, a bit of a future gazing question, I suppose, but looking at the advent of driverless cars and au- autonomous vehicles, which is going to have a massive impact on the motor industry, that's going to set every human driver's insurance policy going sky high, isn't it, at some point in the future? So part of my plan is to retire before all that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good plan. It's a very good idea. <laughs> 
I, I think you know it's the classic. It's almost like the the, the fashionable topic at the moment mm-hmm. around autonomous cars. Yeah. What impacts that going to have? Are people actually going to own cars, or are they just going to an app and a car is going to turn outside their house? Who knows? Um, we do, all we do know is that we'll just have to evolve both from an insurance requirements point of view mm. and you know a risk point of view at the back end of that. But uh, I think there's an awful lot of talk about it at the moment, but until we actually see this playing out, then it's difficult to be more precise. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think there's a certain amount of sensible predictions that can yeah. be made going forwards. Um, but I think it all comes down to our industry being agile and the technology that we use to prevent fraud being agile enough to deal with things as and when they happen. There's a lot that we we can't be proactive about and we have to be reactive, but our solutions and our technology and our industry need to get into a position where we can react fast enough to things that we can address the new things that come up that we could have never predicted because the fraudsters will be looking at those. Do you think the industry is becoming more adaptable, that they're able to adapt faster to change? I think we have to adapt to change. I, I think that traditionally, you know, some way view the insurance industry as being quite slow in terms of the digital age and the the whole advancement in technology. Um, but if you don't keep up with the way that people are actually wanting to communicate with you, do business with you, then all of a sudden it affects your actual ability to do business. So it's it's a case of us having to respond. Clearly, you have some that are more innovative than others, quicker to respond than others, but. Yeah, I think it's something that if you don't get involved in and embrace, then it's obviously going to bite you. I think as, as an industry, we're, we're really, really good at being proactive and talking about it and spending time together and in a collaborative effort to understand what the threat is to the market. I think there's probably a little bit of work that can be done in how fast we can react to that. And I don't necessarily think that's through fault of the insurers. I think there needs to be a better collaborative partnership between the tech providers and the insurers and the tech providers in providing the insurance industry with actually what they need to solve the problems and being able to do that fast enough and working with our insurance partners fast enough to to actually address these so we move from talking about it to doing something about it and the insurance industry can't do that on their own as a set of insurers there's a load of partnerships that are needed including industry bodies to help them react to that and actually get into the doing stage of it yeah because we haven't really talked about the law enforcement end of this as well you know when you look at ifed rfb um, in the UK, and I'm sure there's others elsewhere. You know, there's there are th- three parties almost to this this work. There's the industry, the insurers themselves, and and law enforcement. And is there is there more that could be done by those three groups to to work together, or do you think there's the the foundations already there? So I think sometimes it's typical British way we're quite modest about achievements. But if you hear other countries talking about the UK, they're astonished at what we've actually done collectively, and it it's. It's an area that I, I'm particularly interested and proud of in terms of some of the achievements that we've made. If you look at the, the Insurance Fraud Bureau, the strides that they've made to bring people together and in effect bring an out of control problem that Crash for Cash was into more of a managed threat is a significant achievement and probably a very underplayed achievement. IFED, since they've been um, in existence, have knocked on hundreds of doors, arrested loads of criminals who have been perpetrating this and had it not been for their involvement would still be perpetrating these type of crimes. So again, they've had a huge effect. They've also had a massive effect in terms of that awareness side of things. If you look at, you know, the Claimed and Shame programme, I think it's in its 13th or 14th series. You know, the BBC love producing that programme because it 
from our point of view, it gets the deterrent out. From their point of view, it's free resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a massive thing for us. We Around our industry table in the past, we've, how do we get the message out there? And all of a sudden, we've got a daytime television programme to do that. It's, you know, it, yeah. it's great. Um, and then if you look at things that, you know, the insurance fraud register, you know, again, that's, we now have a one-stop shop register for known fraudsters. So the collaboration is is extremely heartening and has, has developed and brought together some spectacular results. But again, it's evolving. You know, we're now looking at what the Insurance Fraud Bureau strategy is for the next three years. Um, we're soon to launch the product upgrade around the data analytics to bring in the other product lines under the IFB's umbrella. The proof of concept there was astonishing in terms of the output. So we're really looking forward to seeing what that looks like in real live time. Um, so it's huge, huge strides. And you know, without that collaboration and operating independently or in silos as insurers, we'd not even be halfway there in terms of t- some of the tackle the stuff that we're tackling. I totally agree with that. I mean, speaking to to insurers globally and on a global market scale, they definitely see the UK as a best practice, especially when it comes to our relationship with law enforcement. I mean, the the understanding we've got in IFED of the industry and what we face and vice versa, the understanding of the industry and what law enforcement need to take cases forwards and to prosecute those is unprecedented. It's it's really quite incredible. And I think it's fair to take a moment to really look at what the UK have done and take a moment to step back and go, they've done a really, really good job in bringing all these elements from IFB and the collaboration piece to law enforcement together to address a common problem is absolutely brilliant. But Scott's right. I mean, it's it's a fast-paced industry. We, we need to continue to move forwards. But certainly time needs to be taken to take a step back and say, they've actually done a really good job so far. Is there an innovation or um, a collaboration that you've seen in other countries, perhaps, that you'd want to bring into the UK that we don't have yet? And yeah, we've got great tools, we've got great resources, we've got fantastic sort of working parties and and uh, cross industry groups. Is there anything that we're missing? The the danger is to come across quite arrogant and say no. <laughs> um, okay. But I I can't think off the top of my head of 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 something that they do in other countries in terms of bringing that together. I suppose. You know, the, the Achilles heel from our point of view is around data, the aggregated data view. We have way too many data sources, databases of industry data. And I think at some point in time, we need to bring all that together and say, and get a proper control of our data and how we actually use that data for the right reasons. Um, I think that's an area that other countries probably do a lot better than us. Um, but that's something that we're looking at in terms of how we can actually do better. Yeah, so I, I, I thinking off the top of my head, I can't. I'm similar to Scott. I can't necessarily think of something that somebody else is doing that we should be doing. I think there are countries who are doing similar things in a different way. Mm-hmm. That it's probably worth reviewing the results that they're having of doing it slightly differently and seeing whether we are still best practice and mm-hmm. we're still doing things the right way. Sort of a collaboration and consortium. Um, there's there's a lot of different consortiums around the world who are doing things slightly different to the way we do it in the UK. So it, it might be worth taking a look at what they're doing and what value they're getting but um, something completely different and innovative off the top of my head there's there's nothing I can think that the UK aren't at least looking at and, and moving forwards with. Excellent okay and that kind of feeds into the next question really which is what is the role of innovation in fraud or combating fraud um, and it'd be great to understand a little bit more about how Zurich does this how you look to change the way that you, you tackle particular types of frauds as they emerge. So f- for me, it's always been around people. Um, fraud detection relies fundamentally on having people who know what they're looking for. Um, 
and have got a real passion for t detecting it. Um, so I would say first and foremost, it's all about people. So let's look at technology as a supplementary tool rather than a replacement for people. Um, having said that, there are areas of fraud that the human brain just can't identify. And that's where you've got the links between parties and entities that you know the net reveal system through BAE provides us with. And you know it's the way that we describe that to people is it's the third dimension of detection. So we can train red flags, we can train indicators, we can tell people what to look for and how to refer. But when you've got somebody changing their identity, their address, sharing the same mobile phone number, submitting a claim through our motor account in Glasgow and a casualty claim in our Birmingham office, the best way in the world, nobody's going to join those dots. And that's where you need the technology. So if you, if you have all your data that's then being analysed through sophisticated data analytics, then you've got the next step of detection. I think where it moves on from that is that how can you actually complement and supplement that with some of the other pretty whizzy technology pieces out there. Um, you know, things like how do we link better into the internet as an investigation tool? How do we link better into photograph and digital analysis? Um, and it's all complementary. What we don't want to be doing as, a, as an insurer is to be firing off to 10 different systems asking what it, what it tells us. So a consolidated view where you can actually have one or two systems that pretty much gives you that piece that the human brain can't do, for me is a bit of utopia. Uh, but that's what makes it exciting because we've got that journey to get there. Absolutely agree. And I think what, what we need to remember about innovation is the most successful type of innovation solves a problem. That, that's what innovation's there for. It's a new way to solve a problem. So we need to understand the problems in the industry and we need to make sure that we are solving those in innovative ways that allow us to, to move forwards and to grow. Not an innovative way that's not going to help us in five years' time, but it's really innovative now. It, we need to focus and we need to bring everything back to does it solve this problem and is it going to help us solve problems in the future? And that's where innovation really has a place in the insurance fraud market. Yeah, so no gimmicks, but just, you know, the... the the proper stuff that gets proper results long term. Okay, interesting. Um, perhaps um, be good to identify maybe a couple of examples where innovation has helped in a particular role. Is there anything that springs to mind immediately um, from what you've seen over the last year or so? So we've just recently gone live with our net reveal upgrade um, and that's provided us with, in effect, a holistic view across our claims data set. So in the past, we've traditionally looked at just motor um, what we're now finding is that there are crossovers and links between those that are perpetrating fraud within Motor and some of the claims that we've got within our liability book. So at Zurich, we're a, a large liability insurer. Um, and so we have a lot of customers who have got exposure through public liability claims, employers' liability claims. And so for us, the ability to actually mine and wash that data as part of our overall proposition to then highlight links between you know, not only within claims that they've got with us, but obviously other claims in our in our system, um, is a huge step forward for us. Um, so it's it's a it's great from fraud detection point of view. It's a great from a customer reassurance point of view. It just overall adds to our proposition. So I think that's probably the biggest step forward we've made in terms of technology and innovation, um, and it's only been within the last two months. Albeit there's a fair amount of work getting to that point. <laughs> 
So it's great. One of the one of my favorite quotes that I use of Scott that we had in a meeting, I think it was in the beginning or end of last year, was what we want our technology to do is tell us what we don't know. And that's how innovation is helping with just that. And that, that kind of says it really, really clearly. Tell us, tell us what we don't know. We have people who know a certain amount. But at the end of the day, you want to be innovative? Tell us more. Allow us to make more informed decisions. That sort of circles back to one of the things that you were saying at the very top of this podcast about knowing what the weaknesses are, knowing what the gaps are, and then understanding that that may well be the next point of attack by a fraudster. Um, that if you if you if you don't know what you don't know, then uh, the fraudster is probably going to try and squeeze yeah. in there and, and have a go. Yeah. You almost need to know yourself before you know your enemies. And, and the thing is, as well, we, we're always learning ourselves. And you know, I'm not sat here saying to you that at Zurich we detect all of the fraud that's been perpetrated against us. That is an unknown in terms of, you know, you never know what you miss. But what we're always doing is trying to maximise that detection. So what can we do to bridge that gap even further to get more reassurance for, you know, all the people at Zurich, all the people beyond that we're actually doing everything that we possibly can to root out this type of financial crime from our business. Excellent. So I, I guess final question, and um, this is a bit, bit of a late one. I think it's, it's a really good one. So one that uh, you came up with, Kate, actually, as we were talking about this earlier. What do you think we'll be talking about? If we were to do this podcast again in about a year's time, what do you think we'd be talking about in terms of fraud trends um, that you'd be seeing? You can go first, Kate, because it was your question. So. so I guess one of the things that I'm seeing an increased focus on on a global scale is insider threat. Um, I think it's a really hot topic at the moment. I think people are finally realizing that the threat isn't always the person sat on the outside of your office. Sometimes the threat is the people sat on the inside. Um, it's certainly coming to light. There's the people feeling a lot more comfortable talking about it now. I think historically it's very much been, we don't want to acknowledge that a threat might come from our staff and our teams that we trust and we've spent a lot of time with and we have a personal relationship with. So I think we'll be talking about the results of people looking further into insider fraud over the next year. That's a good point. Uh, I think we touched on it earlier, the whiplash reforms mm. that are coming are going to change, in effect, the, the playing field. Um, to what extent they change them and how they evolve and adapt remains to be seen. Uh, but I think we will undoubtedly have to respond to some changing behaviours and types of claims that we're receiving. To kind of move on from that, that We've seen only this week, the courts have again supported what we're doing from a fraud point of view. Um, if you look at fundamental dishonesty and there's no shortage of cases that are being published on insurers and the defendant lawyers winning cases around fundamental dishonesty. These are really important because it not only sends a message, um, but it also makes these claimant solicitors think twice um, about supporting a claim that they may have real suspicions about is 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 fraudulent, because the penalties in that respect are significant from a cost point of view, um, and the courts are evolving. and And if I go back, probably about six or seven years, I think the judiciary were a little inconsistent in terms of their approach to fraud. They didn't actually feel as if they had the real weapons that they could use um, to dismiss claims, and we're now seeing, especially in the recent Aviva case this week, that um, the courts are now absolutely clear in terms of if a claim is fraudulent or part of a claim is fraudulent, then the law is there that it can kick the whole thing out. And I think that's a significant step forward in providing that clarification now that you know if you come to the table with anything other than clean hands, 
then there are some real poss real real risks that not only you won't be paid your claim, but you could end up with a huge bill here for costs. And I think that will, that would inevitably drive some behaviours, but it just remains to be seen to what extent it has an effect. Fantastic. Well, thank you both very much. I don't know if you've got anything more to add before we wrap up. Any final observations? No, I think I, I just say I, I hope I'm here in a year so that we can reflect on it again, because it's it's an it's a never it's an ever evolving picture, and you know we've got some great people, some you know across the industry within our teams. You know this is a this is a topic that we have some fantastic people in our industry that are tackling this that we should be really proud of, and I'm certainly proud to represent them. Okay, well, Scott, Kate, thank you both very much thank indeed you. for your time. Thank you. Um, many thanks for listening to the Intelligence Download. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes or Podbean. Thank you very much.